Blog Talk Radio. Radio and affiliate networks brought to you by Health Innovation Media, monitoring the innovation impulse from idea to business model and emerging best practices. Welcome, everyone. I'm Greg Masters, the producer and co-host of the show, and joining me in the virtual studio is my colleague, principal co-host and co-founder of Pop Health Week, Mr. Fred Goldstein. Hey, Fred. Hey, Greg. How's it going today? Doing well. How's the weather in Jacksonville? It's beautiful today. Wish I were outside enjoying it. Okay, well, we'll get you right to that. So uh, for those of you not familiar with Fred, he's a subject matter expert with deep roots in the hospital, health plan, health, wellness, and prevention space from disease management to population health. Fred's a board member and past chair of the Population Health Alliance, also known as PHA, having served most recently as its executive director and now captains the ship at Accountable Health LLC, a co-sponsor of this broadcast. And now a few words about our special guest today, Dr. Roy Hinman. Roy Hinman, MD, is the founder and CEO of Island Doctors, which employs more than 50 people within 14 offices in Florida, stretching from Jacksonville to Interlaken and New Smyrna Beach. He opened his first family practice office in 1991, on Anastasia Island in St. Augustine, Florida. Dr. Hinman is a back-to-basics pioneer and began to take full-risk Medicare Advantage in 1998. Since then, the practice has grown to approximately 16,000 capitated Medicare Advantage members in Florida. He anticipates having 20 offices by the end of 2015 to meet the demand. In addition to his owned offices, they also manage a network of 32 affiliated providers reflecting a clinical team inclusive of allopathic and osteopathic physicians, as well as mid-level practitioners from physician assistants to advanced practice nursing, with innovative programs targeting diabetes, COPD, cholesterol, smoking, and weight loss, Dr. Hinman and his team understand how to keep patients healthy, but also how to manage the clinical and financial risk associated with risk contracting. Considering we're some three-plus years into the ACO experiment and that all roads, whether Medicare Advantage, bundled pricing, ACOs, pioneers, or shared savings, lead to improved population health via the pursuit of the triple aim, this is a rather timely and instructive conversation. So, Fred, with that brief bio and introduction, over to you. Help us get to know this visionary physician leader. Thank you so much, Greg. And, Roy, welcome to the show. Hey, Greg, Fred. Thanks. Appreciate being on. Uh, glad to have you. Uh, as uh, Greg introduced in, the, in that opening intro, you've been involved in this for quite some time, and obviously there's this transition process that, are, that uh, hospitals and providers are going through as they move through these various payment options. What first got you started in uh, going full risk in this area? 
Uh, actually, it's, it was a chance working with uh, Fred Goldstein <clears throat> way back in the day when there was a Medicaid HMO uh, that was a, a type of risk involvement in St. Augustine and uh, in the surrounding area. And it actually gave me the idea, you quickly discovered that if you can keep people out of the emergency room, offer them a nice facility to come see you, uh, uh, that essentially uh, that your uh, the risk is is slim because uh, if they see your office and you can do the you don't in the military you don't have to win every battle you pick the battles you want to win if you can work on their diabetes you work on to get their cholesterol their LDLs down well below 100 uh, ours are about 75 on average for all our patients over 18,000 of them and if you can if you can make those things happen uh, then essentially uh, they don't go to the hospital and uh, there's a reward on the residual uh, income level we learned that with um, <coughs> healthcare USA which Fred uh, was uh, was was helping run that thing at that time and so i translated that uh, from serving as a medical director for that uh, Medicaid HMO uh, and had a chance to do a risk contract with Humana in 1998 and i've been doing it ever since that's fantastic. You briefly touched upon some of the diseases you you work with and focus on, and you've talked often about keeping it simple. Can you dive into that a little bit deeper? What specifically you try to get accomplished? Yeah, it, and it is a it is a Kiss principle we operate on. Keep it keep it simple, stupid. Now the ACOs, which are you know, there's always opportunity amongst chaos, uh, but the ACO is is uh, an HMO uh, at risk. Uh, Medicare Advantage uh, proposition is really an ACO on steroids, and and that's what the ACOs are attempting to reformulate and to achieve something like that. Now, the the key thing <clears throat> is not a reduction in cost. Uh, you think of HMOs going and giving the lowest uh, price to the hospitals, to the uh, you know a scorched earth policy, paying the uh, uh, radiology and the specialists you know, seventy percent of Medicare, sixty five percent, whatever. That's really not how this works to be effective. The, the whole thing, you have to run an HIO uh, uh, position. That's a health improvement organization, not HMO. You don't want to maintain. You, have to, you actually have to improve patients' health. While everybody talks about that, it's actually able, you're actually able to achieve this if you focus in on just a few key areas. And once again, pick the battles you want to win. Number one, get your cholesterol down. If you can, people, get, every study shows lower is better. There are no studies that do not show that. So it's very simple, very inexpensive to get uh, our average LDL is 75 down uh, at 75 or below uh, LDLs, and my hospitalization rate is probably about 40 percent of that of standard Medicare patients. Uh, that's admits per thousand or bed days per thousand, whichever way you want to look at it. <clears throat> we do uh, we do a lot of weight loss. In fact, my office we're, my office staff has paid seven dollars a pound for every pound that our uh, managed care patients lose. That's a bonus system for them. So, and if they gain it back, it gets taken away. So, the the weight loss is extremely important for patients' long term uh, morbidity, mortality, and actually their happiness. You know, you show me a patient who loses weight, I'll show you a healthier patient. I'll show you a very happy patient. And so that that breeds into loyalty because also we have an extremely we have the highest retention rate in the state of Florida for Humana. So if you can get patients healthier, you you kill about three or four birds with one stone by keeping the patient alive uh, longer and increasing your retention rate. So those kind of basic things, uh, working hard on their diabetes and following their lab work on a regular basis, and we we those are the, that's the way you make it. One other real quick point because this is important: we see our patients on average about eight times per year as Medicare Advantage patients. They have no copay up front. What an amazing thing that is! So, even and that that reduces their uh, disinclination to come in and see us because they don't cost us anything for them to come in. So it's amazing the patients see me eight times a year. And when you can look at that in, a, in an excess of eight thousand patients are within our wholly owned network, that's uh, I think that's a quite an amazing thing. Yeah, that's fantastic. So you've also talked about this concept of you know obviously there's no copay to come in. 
But you also, I believe, have a rule in your practice regarding if somebody shows up unannounced. Can you discuss that and how important that is? Yeah, so to be successful in the ACO or HMO mo- or risk model of any kind, the key thing is to make sure that your patients are, the patients are seen whenever it is they feel that they need to be seen. <clears throat> now, it's traditionally, uh, providers will say, look, we're busy right now, I need to leave at 5, this patient, they don't look sick, come back tomorrow. Uh, what will happen is in northeastern Florida, 67% of uh, Medicare patients that walk into the ER, for, if they stub their toe, they're going to be admitted for some other thing. Not what they stub their toe on, but, but the fact is that they have underlying CHF, that maybe they've got one-plus pedal edema, and, and we're already being followed for that. But the ER docs say, oh, can't, take, can't be too careful with this. We're going to have to check your, your BNP, your troponins. And, oh, it's a little up. We can't take it. You've got to spend the night here, maybe two or three or four days. Lord knows how long you have to stay before we, we feel you're good enough to come out. So and that can come from a patient that, that goes in the, in the ER later in the evening for some perceived thing. To them it's important, but the, to your, your, your docs in the office, they don't think so. So we have a strict policy. Once a patient walks in our door before any time uh, during the day, before closing time, they will automatically be seen 100% of the time. That's a fireable offense if somebody does not see a patient. Now, it's very simple, All they, but they don't have to see the patient. They can always call me up and explain to me why they're too busy to see that patient before they're ready to go home. Now, personally, I've never had anybody call me up and explain that to me, and I haven't had to fire anybody yet, but that's one of the few fireable expenses, uh, offenses that we have is that patients must be seen when they come in, no question about it, 100% of the time, and that's it. And, it, and it's extremely important, and we do that's something we do that I, I, it's very, very few other offices do. So these multiple ways to uh, get the patient seen, make them happy, keep them engaged, all keep them out of the ER, obviously, and as you manage them, you, you mentioned you get reductions in um, hospitalization to bed days, and you track that, and I guess you report that back by doctor, clinic, et cetera, so everybody sort of knows what their rates are. Yeah, we have a we have uh, we have a large organization. We have over 135 uh, uh, people in our organization, uh, 27 physicians, PAs. Uh, we're split about half and half, but we we have people to track. We have to do heat as it's uh, heat of quality measurements, uh, medical risk adjustment measurements. We have to look at that. We have somebody that tracks all, every hospitalization, so we follow up. As soon as they come out of the hospital, then we need to make sure that they get a phone call uh, and that they can. We, we see them within the next seven days. The sooner the better. You know, sometimes they're feeling sick, they don't want to come in. But we, we try to get them immediate follow-up. So you, you have to have an organization in, in place, but everything's geared to make sure the patients have prompt, swift follow-up, and we never turn anybody away. Anytime that they want to be seen, that, that we make sure that we see them, whether it's, un, whether it's uncomfortable or, or inefficient for us, we're going to see them no matter what. And the dividend that pays is huge. And you've also talked some about some of the other unique services you provide. I remember going into your practice and seeing at your clinic the wall on weight loss and some of the things you talked about you do for COPD patients or exercise. Can you touch on some of those extra Little features yeah, you so, offer. so we so there's a you know the key thing is on weight loss. We have our own little we have our own weight loss plan. We call it triangle diet. Very simple, uncomplicated. We get the starch out, uh, get the uh, fat out, and everything is gr- boiled, boiled, baked, steamed, or grilled. Uh, you just basically don't fry things. It's a simple visual thing. So we get something very simple. People eating regular food, and we say, look, these are the things you don't eat. These are the things you do eat. You eat these things, you lose weight. You eat these things, you gain weight. So stop that. Don't eat this. So it's uh, we give them something once again the Kiss principle, K 
keep it simple, stupid, and we follow them up, and every week we give them something to do. We had something, and we, we have a list of about 12 different things. Every week, every time they come back, we give them one thing to do, and that's kind of the, you know, you can't do 100 things at one time, but you can focus on one thing. We keep them engaged, and our patients lose a lot of weight. Last year, last year they lost over 10,000 pounds. So that's a that's a nice big bonus, seven dollars a pound that we pay out to our back office staff. So because they're the ones that do the hard work uh, to to spend time with the patients, uh, where they act as their cheerleaders, their jailers, their their best friend, uh, you know, the person that takes their food away from them, and and their and their champion. And so uh, it's a it's a gift to it's a gift that we try to give to the patients uh, is their own health. They're the only ones. See, we have to remember patients are the, the key to this thing in that we can't get patients healthy, but we can help patients get themselves healthy. So that's uh, that's the key That's the key part of the whole thing of, of health improvement is to work with, convince the patient that they can get themselves healthier, and then we provide some of the tools and the follow-up and uh, some of the uh, things that provide medications that can help them get there, but it's up to them to do it. So, it, but once you can convince them, working on a daily basis, whenever they come in, that they're in charge, uh, and we're there to help them, that we're not going to get them well. They're going to, we're going to help them get themselves well. It's amazing what can happen, and the economically the results are huge. Fantastic. You touched briefly on ACOs. What are your thoughts? If you were to talk to providers today about ACOs, what, what would you say? Well, the ACO is a, they're attempting to do on a federal level what the uh, what Medicare Advantage has done in a risk program for years and years. <clears throat> the problem is it, it's it's a it's a much poorer deal for individual providers uh, because once again the government is going to give them only a, a much a much smaller amount of return. Uh, it's usually 50 percent. Uh, uh, Medicare Advantage will work at a higher percentage with uh, with their providers that that uh, take Medicare uh, risk programs. The organization work with that, and so first of all, there's less revenue to be had. Secondly, the government makes you jump through a whole lot more hoops. It's kind of everybody's had EMR knows how many hoops you got to go through to recoup whatever uh, funding that they promised you, and it's even worse on the ACO. Not only that. But the ACO guys, they, they, they have no idea of what risk is involved. People who work with Medicare Advantage, you don't get in and do that unless you've already had a taste of that. Somebody's trained you on to do this. Otherwise, you're just you're going to go down flames, and you, you can lose a ton of money. It's like buying a, you know, man, it's like risk. It's like doing a contracting on your in, for stock. Man, you can you can turn out, borrow a bunch of money, and, and be in the hole big time. The same thing applies to ACOs. Um, they initially they they kind of lure you in because you won't be at risk for three years. I'm not sure currently that that, that I believe that has been extended by the federal government, but eventually they will have to go risk, and that's uh, and when they first go in, understand the hospital is going to look at your medical loss MLRs medical loss ratio, and after the first year or two they're going to start calling the herd, and they'll start looking at their A and B providers and all the C and Ds uh, the Ds are gone, so they'll be kicked out if they're not they're not up to snuff because the, the hospital has to do uh, operate the same thing as an HMO. They're going to have to keep the efficient providers, and they cannot keep the guys that are going to sink the ship. So be aware of that when you go in there that you may not be there two or three years later, and then sooner or later everyone has to go risk, and they're going to ship that risk from the hospital to the providers. So if someone's looking to go full risk today like you've done, what sort of advice would you give them? Uh, in order to do that, they have to have an existing contract. 
with a uh, well first of all they better have a track record to show the uh, uh the HMO on their medical loss ratio. So it's all about it's not about us all looking at each other and say we're great docs and then we all we you know we all treat patients good and 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 there our our patients are healthier than everybody else is to look at somebody to take a look at what your uh, hospitalization rate admits per thousand, bed days per thousand. How many things do you do in your office? Do you freeze off skin lesions for your patient? Do you send everybody to the, the, the dermatologist? We cut everybody's toenails that wants to have, or do I have to send everybody to the podiatrist or do I do that in the office? We do that for our patients. It's a great service to patients. They love it for us. Do you do these kind of things? Patient has COPD exacerbation. Do you give nebulizer treatments in the office? Uh, can you work to look, get the weight down with patients? Do you do all these things? If you say, no, nah, I don't do that, I send them all off, then you should never join an ACO or a uh, or think about any kind of risk because you will not be there very long and you're going to lose money in the process. So they really need to look at their own practice first and see if it's amenable to, to accepting risk because they're already doing some of those things. What about from a systems perspective? I know you've had we've had some discussions on EMR and consultants. What are your thoughts on that? In going into this type of space. Uh, well, first of all, uh, you know whether you do EMR or don't do EMR. Now, I think that right now we're the most efficient providers uh, in the state of Florida for Humana, <clears throat> and so uh, and, and we have we have paper now. Uh, so EMR does not help you improve your efficiency or your patient care. Absolutely not. You, if you're a good doc, you have a good organization. You know, if you use paper or EMR, you're going to be equally good. Um, so, but now the problem is with EMRs. Look, so suddenly I don't care who you are, you're going to lose t- uh, 15, 20 percent efficiency. So you're going to see 15 or 20. Every doc or PA is gonna, or nurse practitioner is going to see 15 or 20 percent less patients at the end of the year if you're EMR than if you're straight paper. If you have an organized, I have an exceptionally organized paper system, just like you can have good EMR and poor ER. I have an exceptionally good uh, paper system. So under that states, if you if you're EMR, you better if if you're EMR, you're going to see 15 to 20 percent less patients per day, uh, and do the same amount of quality work as I do. So uh, now you're you're going to pay a uh, there is a sm- I think it's either one or two percent um, penalty. But look, if I contain if I can see 20 percent more patients and I pay a two percent penalty, I'll pay that all day long. And and what about? Uh Consultants? Do you need to bring in a big group of consultants to do this? Absolutely not. Uh, this is that, and that is the uh, uh, the that's kind of the, the the issue that people don't understand. Look, it's not about having 15 consultants telling you what to do. Now, you if if you're if you plan on doing ACO or risk, you better have a, a, an excellent consultant or somebody that that's already can mentor you in how to do this. Or you're gonna or the, there's about a 98 percent chance you're gonna fail at this. Because the learning curve, you're going to lose too much process in the early form of the early learning curve to survive. So you, in that case, you need somebody. But to, you're, you have to have established, you have to establish, if you're going to do this, you have to have HEDIS teams, MRA teams. Uh, you have to have uh, your inside people that work on preventive medicine. And your docs, the key thing is the docs and the PAs have to focus and understand their role in this process. And once again, it doesn't help that you do 15 things great. It doesn't matter if you if you work on everybody's t- toenails and ears. If you don't get their cholesterol, get their diabetes down, then uh, it's going to be a failure. As far as economically, you won't be able to survive. So, so that so you're yeah. They have to have there has to be some mentoring in some fashion before you get involved. Otherwise, it's almost surely failure. Fantastic. And you've talked about this this idea of of uh, a health improvement organization. How do how do you see population health? There's this big talk about population health out there. Obviously, we're focusing on that, and you're you're doing a chunk of this. How how do you see that fitting in? Well, fit, you're talking about fitting in with the with the, with the Medicare Advantage, uh, risk or uh, ACOs. 
Yeah, that's yes. that's the cornerstone. I mean, look, the cornerstone. Look, <clears throat> there's there's twenty thousand things that kill the the three of us that are talking right now, including our audience. Of those twenty thousand things that kill us, two of them make up forty percent, and that's heart attack and stroke, and probably ninety percent of that's just cholesterol. So if we can get people's cholesterol, we've just down. We've won a one heck of a battle. So uh, and usually with generic medication, so we get people under 100 if they've had a stroke. For everybody, everybody 100% under 100, and anybody that's had a heart attack, stroke, or has any kind of risk factor, we put them well below 70, not just 70, but somewhere down in the in the, in the low 60s, 50s, 40s, or 30s. And suddenly you don't have people having heart attack, strokes. They're not. If you don't have chest pain, you don't go to the ER for chest pain. So how simple is that? So there's also huge data that shucks about statins, for example, and use in, uh, in, in decreased risk of not over overall mortality, but a lot of cancer death. So you fight that one battle, and you're already a quarter of the way there. Same thing is uh, same thing was working on that. Once again, you lose uh, if you lose uh, if you extend if you have patients lose weight, you extend their lifespan. Bada bing, bada boom. Now it's no more complicated than that, and it's doable. Everybody gives up on it, but we have patients lose weight all the time. It's a matter of, of approaching it in a symptomatic way. They don't have to buy anything. They don't have to do any special thing, but we have to do a little coaching. We use no dietitians. We do it all ourselves, our in-house. It's simple. It's uncomplicated. So those are the key things. You bring everybody back. Uh, their labs are paid for under Medicare Advantage. The government's great program, so they have capitated, they, their, their labs are already paid for. So no cost to the uh, to the HMO. What they do is that patients there's, that reduces their uh, adversity to, to stop and uh, saying, hey, I'm not going to go and get my labs done. So we try to check the hemoglobin A1Cs every three months. So we have much better control on our diabetics, much lower hemoglobin A1Cs than average. And so, by and large, they don't go blind as, as quickly. They don't lose their kidney function as well. They don't end up on dialysis, and they just last longer with less complications. So it's simple. Wow. So it's... Yeah, very simple approach. Are there any now that you've been very successful at managing, say those early the early winners where you can do it for a large percentage of that forty percent with diabetes and cholesterol? Are there other areas you're looking at now? Uh, we do a lot of screenings on our patients. Everybody that comes in, we screen them for peripheral arterial disease. Uh, we screen them for uh, pulmonary functions uh, tests for anybody that's ever smoked. So we establish those early COPD years. Uh, and people have peripheral arterial disease. And, you know, one of the things, just because we we know that you're at risk for heart attack and stroke doesn't mean you're going to take your medication for that. So, well, I don't believe in pills. We say, well, look, uh, you, you know, you have peripheral arterial disease. Look at look at how this, these numbers, here's, these numbers are from you. Oh, wow. In that case, well, maybe it is important to do your, to get to be on cholesterol medication, get your numbers down. So you bring the risk factor uh, at light to the individual. Because, once again, they're responsible for getting themselves healthy. We can only try to help them. Same thing with or smokers, or somebody that has been smoke. If they're still around a smoker, and you look, you do a pulmonary function test, which we don't charge patients for, and say, "Hey, look at this, man! You, you know, you got." They say, "What's these little lines? The big line is where your lung is supposed to be for your age, sex, and race. These little lines—that's where you're at right now." So, and they say, "But my grandmother smoked till she was 95." Well, look, this is this is your lungs on smoke, so you need to quit smoking now. And or if you're around people that smoke, you need to stay away from them. Keep don't let them smoke around you because you you know you're you're down to the point where you're going to be short of breath in the next three or four years, and you're going to be on nebulizers and other things, and at risk of dying from some kind of pneumonia or end up in the hospital frequently with COPD exacerbations. So we give we uh, do screenings at no charge to our patients that help us not only identify them but give us some leverage to help them change their health habits. Uh, or allow us to help them uh, treat things that can prevent them from turning into, uh, you know, a much more dangerous condition over a short period of time. So, 
it's cost effective and uh once again it's it's focused effort you know so you focused on the patient side of this and and how you get them to begin to change their behavior how about providers have you found any difficulty in identifying providers who were effective at this or are all providers potentially good at doing this no, what about that? and it's a provide. It's it's a it's a difficult role because people have to see. The problem is with uh, physicians, PAs, and nurse practitioners. We have all been, including myself, been trained to fix the patient's chief complaint. So if the patient comes in and they've got a, they have some uh, toenail fungus and they've got an earache and they've got some low back pain and they've got uh, and they've got some kind of itchy skin on their chest. Uh, look, when they come in to see me, the first thing I'm going to look at is say, that, that, then they've taught us in medical school and in residency, treat the chief complaint, treat them and treat them. They're happy. They, they're happy. You're happy. They, they, they got what they wanted. You got paid. You can see the next patient. But the problem is that's not what kills people. That patient is not aware that his LDL is 138, and if he is aware, it's no big deal because his prior physician told him it's not that bad. Wait a minute. Not that bad. How bad does it have to be? <laughs> Just some bad? So it's our, So what we have to do is to turn around and say, hey, we have to look. And so you got to re- change your thinking. It's a paradigm shift. I'm, not, not, it's, I'm going to treat what they're here for today, but that's not what kills them. The patient doesn't have the medical knowledge to know that their long-term, intermediate, and even short-term health is at risk for things that don't, they can't see it. They can't see their blood pressure. They can't see their cholesterol. They can't see their elevated blood sugar, and they don't feel it. So to them, it's not that important. So you have to change the physicians to focus in on the things that affect people's morbidity and mortality. And we can actually improve their health, and that's the whole consequence behind uh, being at risk is you improve people's health and there's some residual income to be shared with the MSO or the provider at that point. So some physicians can make that shift. Others say, look, I'm just here. Look, I'm just going to fix trick what's wrong with them. Well, and my patients love me. Well, that may be true, but you're an extremely poor risk doctor, and you're going to sink your you're going to you're going to go down in flames and or sink your organization. They cannot deal with you. So you you try to motivate people and and talk to them and get them to change their perspective, but you can't do that with everybody. Some people won't change. Good points, and and you your practice is both rural and urban. Is this a model that could be put in anywhere? Yeah, it's uh, urban, rural. Uh, yeah, we're on the seacoast. We're way in the central part of the state. We're in Jacksonville. We're in Daytona, St. Augustine, and you know, uh, so we're we're scattered out all over the place. So there is no this the same model works everywhere. It's, the focus is on patient uh, integration to uh, with the provider to to get the patient to accept that we need to improve their health, and then focus on the key things, not a hundred things, not two hundred things, but you pick four or five areas that you want to succeed in, and it's amazing. Suddenly, patients aren't in the hospital, and it's not a matter of us keeping them out of the hospital or kicking them out of the hospital. We don't do that. If they don't feel sick, they don't have a COPD exacerbation. They don't have a they don't have three plus pitting edema because we got them to lose weight now. That's disappeared. They don't go in the hospital, and and that revenue that would have been wasted on an unnecessary hospital where nothing hospitalization where nothing is fixed. It's just they're just going to be treated till the acute event is over. Uh, well, that that money is not uh, thrown out, thrown wasted, and the patient's life is not risk because that's available uh, to back to the organization. Uh, for uh, residual distribution. So what a wonderful thing. All that time and effort, uh, there's a there's reimbursement for that. So it's, it's a matter of focus. What you're doing for your patients is, is really incredible, and uh, you're growing. Do you anticipate continuing to grow this practice? Oh, the opportunity. You know, the uh, CMS, I believe, just said that there's uh, – they were just – the numbers just came out for increased uh, – 
uh, Medicare Advantage growth through 20, 2023. Huge, uh, huge growth anticipated. That's by CMS, and it, it's a cost savings to the federal government too. Uh, there's a there's a there's a disconnect between PPO and HMO. Now the HMO Medicare Advantage is actually very cost effective. The government saves the government. I think the government only pays ninety five percent of Medicaid, Medicare, or whatever these guys. But because they focus on people on uh, on getting them healthier, not focusing on just treating the current event and sending them home. Uh, they, the federal government wants this to expand, so uh, there's an opportunity for everyone because this is an area of big expansion and uh, for the Medicare Advantage and the Medicare Advantage, especially the Medicare Advantage Risk Program. You've done this as a provider. Uh, a lot of people are doing them in partnership with a hospital. Any preference, or is it one way better than the other? Uh, if you're for Medicare Advantage, it's, it's extremely difficult. Almost always, if it works with a hospital, the deal is not—it's not, not going to survive. Uh, it's going to be because it's just their cross purposes. The hospital administrator there, and God bless him for being there, uh, but he—they work across. You know, his goal is to put the do as many procedures as you can in the hospital, keep that hospital funding functioning, keep it there as a resource for the community. And our goal is to get our patients so healthy that they don't need the ho- need to go in the hospital. You know, when they're there, we appreciate them. We've got to get them in immediately. We want great service for them. But our goal is not to provide a feedstock uh, to keep the hospital running. And uh, and so it, it, suddenly they realize a lot of times when they they notice that in fact the hospital uh, census is dropping. Uh, well, well, this is a terrible thing. Well, it's 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 not a terrible thing for the patient's health. It's a terrible thing for the hospital bottom line, and they're looking at it. They got to keep the hospital open, so it's, it works at cross at cross purposes with uh, with with an ACO even, and especially with Medicaid HMO, yeah, or Medicare HMO. So, yeah, it works think, at cross I purposes. I think your point is proof. It's not a good a theory, in actuality. It's not a good fit. I think you're you're right on target. Your points are proven out given the data so far in ACOs that those have been more that have been more successful tend to be either physician operated or located in areas with high costs to begin with, like South Florida. We're right sure. about up on the end, Roy. Is there one final thing you would like to add, or anything else you'd like to add to today's show? Uh, the key thing is uh, the risk environment is a op- tremendous opportunity for those patients. For excuse me, for those uh, for those providers that. that that really try to do many things uh, for their patients in their office, and try to try to make that a place that it costs their patients a lot less. You offer them more services. You see them whenever they're whenever they feel like they're sick. You have an open door for them, uh, and that you can work with other and you can work with your specialist, and and really tell them, look, we our goal is to do the things that are important for our patients and ship them over to you, and and and, and make sure you receive full cost when things happen. But the rest of the time, we're going to get them so healthy, we don't hope they're not going to darken your door. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, Roy. That's been a fantastic time with you today. Thank you. Back to you, Greg. Hey, hey, Fred, Greg, thanks. Well, there you have it. That'll have to be the last word on today's broadcast. Uh, I want to thank our guest, Dr. Roy Hinman of the Island Doctors, founder and CEO of Idea uh, Island Doctors, for his time and insights today. Do follow this integrated and growing primary care system on Twitter at via island underscore doctors and on the web at islanddoctors.com. We do this weekly at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern on Wednesdays. Join us next week for our special guest, Dr. Rashika Fernandapoli, MD and CEO of the 
company called Iora Health, a Boston-based direct practice innovating at the sphere of organizational and financing of medicine. Until then, for Fred Goldstein, this is Greg Masters saying bye now. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.